you can put a product in, we'll market it. And we've done this for other brands. We can understand this concept. It'll probably do pretty well, I hope. But if it's really going to be an amazing, amazing thing, it's about Walgreens saying, look, we're going to take on this concept generally. We're going to talk about multiple brands. Not just that, we're going to build out the shelf in a different way. We're going to label it differently. People don't like healthy aging as a concept. They don't want to see that. Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, a podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands, from developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution, and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. Welcome to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. Today, I'm joined with, by a special guest, Corey Sholabo, who is the co-founder and COO of Wile. And Wile is a wellness company for women over 40. So welcome to the podcast, Corey. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you so much. I've been a fan of all of the pods I've listened to so far, so I'm happy to be on. I'm really happy to hear that. I want you to just take a minute and tell us all about Wile and how you got there, because it's a really unique brand. I haven't heard a lot of people talk about this particular audience, which I think, and personally, I think it's a very important audience, but also I know it's some an audience that mostly people don't talk about. So can you share a little bit about that with us? Yeah. So I'm a consumer products founder and I had stepped away from my last company that was disrupting plastic and styrofoam. It's called Repurpose. I co-founded that company and it's an eco-friendly tableware company. And we had really worked hard to push the needle on plastic and styrofoam and change the green conversation at a consumer level. But it was a really tough road to hoe. As we were successful, I finally got a chance to step away. And my business partner, Gwen Floyd, who's our CEO, and I went to high school together. And she called me, we'd been talking because we were both, she stepped away from her company, which was an ethical jewelry line. And she had told me at point blank, she's like, I want to build products for women in perimenopause and menopause. And I hadn't really thought about it before. Simultaneously, our co-founder, Julie Kuzinski, who I'd known through the founder of Mrs. Myers and who'd worked on a lot of branding projects with me, including Repurpose, she was talking to me about this. She's like, now that you're away, like, let's talk about another a company that's for perimenopause and menopause. I'm like, okay. And then Judy Greer, the actress Judy Greer, who's one of my best friends, and I had wanted to do some sort of business together as well. We'd been talking about it for years, and she coincidentally was going through you know, some early changes as well and being gaslit by the medical community. And so it was just a very kismet moment where I always say all the smartest women I knew were all talking about this at the same time. So it was fascinating. And then you know, we looked at it you know, as a business perspective, first of all, why isn't there anything for perimenopause? Why hasn't there been? What's the reason? Is it because there's no market there? Is it because people won't buy it? Because you can't make efficacious products for it, potentially? It's like maybe it's unsolvable. You know, all the things that you look at when you see a disruption or space that's ripe for disruption, why hasn't it been disrupted? And as usual, there's usually a reason, which in, in this case is a combination of, you know, systemic patriarchy on a major level where women in this age group, when you look at them, have the most spending power of any demographic. They make all the decisions for the home. They are Gen X now, so they're not used to their parents' way of going through this. It's not going to be the way they're going to go through this. They're going to expect brands, services, community, the things that they've been getting since they were Gen X 13-year-olds, right? So they're not like a suffer and silence generation, usually. So we saw that. We looked at the market. We saw that there was a giant white space, obviously. we saw. So we started talking to retailers. And retailers were 
over the moon about the concept. They were desperate to have her. They call her their future core customer. And we're like, okay, so retailers want to sell products for her. Let's go see if we can make products. When we started to do the research from everything from telehealth to all of the the concepts we could get into, we really realized that women are terrified of medical intervention. They are afraid of cancer. Not that that is a reasonable, not always a reasonable fear, but it is out there. They want OTC over-the-counter supplements. They believe in plant-based medicines. They want solutions and help now. They don't necessarily want to go a medical route. So we found that to be true. And then we went out and, and decided to build the best and most efficacious supplement products we could build for her. We found a naturopath who'd been working in the, with women in this phase for 30 years. She has deep clinical roots. She owns a house in, in the Andes and like goes down there and studies plant medicine. She writes the textbooks on this. Combining that with the best in Western science, we really realized we could bring an entire suite of products to her. The retailers wanted it. The consumers wanted it. And really, it was a gap in the market based entirely on just making women at this phase of life invisible for no good reason and just patriarchy and beauty standards. And a lot of what we talk about is is archetype, right? Archetype is important and understanding archetype is important to knowing who we are. So for women, from what I've experienced, what I've learned, there's the archetype of the mother, there's the maiden, and then there's sort of the crone wise old woman archetype, right? We know what all those things look like. So we we know what to do. She can understand herself looking at women around her pretty much up until 40. <laughs> then once you're past the quote unquote motherhood stage, what are you? Who are you? What kind of person do you Such become? Such a good question. And what are the archetypes that you can follow? And then we're looking around now and you can see Holly Berry on the cover of AARP and Jennifer Lopez is what 50 looks like now for some women and, and everything in between. And so without building that story, without building that archetype, it was really going to be hard for her to understand. And so we decided to call it grown. You know, there's this whole period of your life. Women are living 30 years longer on average. You're going to spend more time post having your period than having your period in your entire life. So we're talking about more of your life. And so for me as an entrepreneur, as a mission-based entrepreneur, I thought, oh, this is 50% of the population for 50% of their life. What more impact could I have on humanity? And our belief is that we need women in the second phase of their life to feel good and be active and out there because if they're sitting on the bench, we're going to lose the environment, we're going to lose democracy, all the things that we find so important. We can't just have a huge chunk of our population miserable, suffering, being gaslit, being ignored, and therefore just sort of not participating at large in a, on the level that they could be if they just felt good and felt like themselves again. Do you think there's a taboo among women in that age group of even talking about what they're going through and admitting that because there's such a thing about aging that doesn't work? in society for women that's different than it is for men? Is it hard to even get women to talk about it? I mean, it can be and it can't be. Obviously, I have an interesting perspective because I'm not in the demographic. So someone else could potentially say it differently. But when I thought about it, I thought, and a lot of people, a lot of venture capital likes to slice this demographic like they do men, frankly, which isn't relevant. We come at it with like, okay, is there like an ED Roman thing here? Like, is there a sense that like men suffer in silence from record erectile dysfunction. We've decided not to do that anymore. We've opened up all these services. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. And so are there parallels there? And I think yes, to some extent, and I find parallels in being queer as well. But this phrase, perimenopause, which isn't even accurate, right? It's only one day in your life. Everything before that is perimenopause. Everything after that is postmenopause. They don't like the term. They don't want to identify with the term. They're stigmatized by it because menopause has been a shorthand for 
you're over basically. Bye-bye. In fact, and as a brand, you know, I'm not going to speak for the society, but as a brand, that's what brands do. Sorry, you've, you've aged out of the 18 to 44, like you're done. Like we don't build products for you anymore, which is just absurd on the face of it. But women are, as a result, yes, women are afraid to talk about it. That being said, they're afraid to take on the, the titles a lot. They don't like... I don't want to come out. Most women we talk to don't want to come out and say we're menopause. Hi, I'm coming out. I'm menopositive. I'm I'm great. They're not. That's not what our surveying shows. But they aren't afraid to talk about what's going on. They aren't afraid to talk about hot flashes, lost sleep, vaginal dryness, all these things with their friends, right? With their colleagues. And unlike what we found out sociologically, you know, with your period and with your and with your having a child or wanting to have a child, you talk to your mother and you talk to your friends about it a lot. And we don't really talk women don't really talk to their mothers about this either, which is fascinating. So it's like everyone's in silence, even your mom who did this and has some advice, but that's changing really really dramatically. I mean, in the last 2 years, the amount of articles, the amount of press, the amount of stories, the amount of brands that have come to enter the space is just a massive sea change. The amount of investment is a massive sea change. So if you actually get to women to answer your original question, they do want to talk about this. They don't necessarily want to be like, hey, everyone, I want you all to know I'm menopausal. I want to put that name all over me. And so we call it perimenopause in life, right? So there's a lot going on that's not just perimenopause. You know, there's stress is the unseen female hormone. There's a lot of emotional states going on with women in this phase. Is it, is it low libido because of perimenopause? You've just been married for 25 years. You know, like we can't really sum these things up. And when you look at like a Roman ED model, it's like, oh, you have a physical dysfunction. Take this pill, send us this email, take this pill. It's fine. That's not how menopause and perimenopause works because it's not a dysfunction. It's not a, a system not functioning appropriately. It's functioning exactly as it's supposed to. And you may want to change your experience of it lessen the intensity of things, support and regulate and monitor. And we can do dramatic things to make it very different for her, but there's no avoiding it, right? There's no not going through it. And I think that's the the dramatic difference really than anything else in the market that you could parallel to. Yep, it's so interesting. It's such an incredible topic. And it's amazing that you found this way to help and make it something people can talk about and actually try to manage a little bit. I think that's part of it too. Like it feels like it's unmanageable, but maybe it isn't unmanageable. Well, you've so been told for decades that it's not, right? That yeah, that's you right. have to go home and grin and bear it. And if you've been told for generations that that's the situation, I mean, that's intrinsic in our culture now. I mean, no one does that about to anything that, that men are going through. Right? So it's yeah, like, it's can you like imagine, that. right? And this is the debate we're having with, you know, Roe v. Wade as well. Like, can you imagine if men were, we wanted to have an abortion and we don't have to get into that topic, but like men have erectile dysfunction and we move heaven and earth or hair loss. I mean, yeah. we move heaven and earth to find solutions to that medically and we build billion dollar industries against it. And we just don't do that for women. And it's pathetic, frankly. Pathetic. Well, I think it's amazing that you are doing something to change that. Talk about the name, because I'm really curious now. Where did that come from and what does it mean for you guys? Yeah, the name is Wild, W-I-L-E. And it's a playoff of Worthier Wild, but it's more a playoff of Feminine Wiles. So Feminine Wiles were often used, and this is, by the way, very much my partners, Julie and, and Gwen's brand, especially Julie Kuczynski's branding expertise. But the concept of feminine wiles being used is, oh, she used her feminine wiles to get what she wants. Like it's a negative connotation. When in reality, it's the superpower, right? And mm-hmm. so obviously 
you know, women have to use what's at their disposal and always have in order to get ahead in society. And I think that reclaiming what was considered a kind of negative, almost misogynistic statement, right? Your feminine wiles is like, no, our feminine wiles are huge and important. And, and that's really what we're doing in general with this phase of life is reclaiming what has been treated as, as something negative, which doesn't have to be negative at all. So I think that's really the main impetus is to, it's to reclaim this phase of life, you know, make it what women should have always made it for themselves and not let it be defined by the medical system, which at the end of the day, it's, it's all just men. Like if you go to the, the I, I mean, nothing against men, but like the, if you go to read about why hormone replacement therapy is where it's at in medical community in America, the studies, all they're all done by men. All the groups are chosen by men. We don't spend any time, any money studying women's health in this context. And we do, when we do, it's in relation to maternity care, right? Which has its own larger, this is the only thing that's just for women, right? Just for you. It's just what you're going through. It doesn't affect your children or the GDP. I mean, or the can. It's just about how she feels. And, and that's, that's where society has decided they don't really want to bother. <laughs> which is It's so interesting. I mean, it's a fascinating topic. And I guess my question for you is, you know, I always ask what the biggest challenges are starting a brand from scratch, being an entrepreneur, which you've done several times over. But I think for you, it's a different question. It's because you you have all the challenges that everyone has, but then you have a bigger challenge. You've got a topic that people have not spoken very often about. You've got a group of people who have been largely ignored. So is your challenge different than challenges you faced as you've started up other brands? Harder, easier? It's actually much easier than any other brand I've ever started, but that is a timing thing. That is a right place, right time, which I think a good entrepreneur can read, right? I didn't know how to read that when I was a baby entrepreneur. So I couldn't tell, oh, this is, yeah, we could do this, but this is going to be awful. It's going to be a, a slog and it's going to take forever and we're never going to be worth anything. Like that's very different than what we saw here because we were like, okay, this is you know, this huge white space, multi-billion dollar white space, we're looking at the, the the feminine care market, it's $50 billion market. We're not even close to that for this market. So we have so much room to grow. So I think, but I will say yes, in that people, I think the problems that we face that are different is we're creating a conversation around something that hasn't had a conversation much like the green movement was in, in the past for me. But the difference is everyone's on our side. Like the retailers want to tell that story. She wants to tell the story. The media has turned full tilt boogie in the last two years talking about the story. I mean, there was a huge article in Vogue this month about how menopause is finally the wellness trend du jour, how it's finally getting its attention. We're mentioned, of course, along with other brands. So, I mean, I think that we I've never ridden a wave that already had this much crest. But at the same time, we were part of, an, of conceiving the wave. So it's kind of a fascinating inflection point. But I think this has been easier. I think the Me Too movement, the post-feminism movement of the current, whatever whatever feminism is these days, which I'm not, in no means allowed to speak about, or not allowed to, but have any expertise to speak about. Whatever that is, it's not a silence anymore. It's not about these topics. And so the wave, the floodgates are open, the media is open, the awareness is open, and the consumer is open to it in a way that I think is different than other concepts. So now we have to tell her about it, right? And we have to have her understand it, and we have to get her to buy it. I think for us, what was easier is we didn't focus entirely on perimenopause only. It's a larger wellness brand that has, you can come in and out of our ecosystem technically without even knowing anything about perimenopause or even using the word. We have tinctures like on anger, on worry, 
burnout relief. These are for mood states, need states that are cute for this woman. They're designed with herbs that are effective for this woman. But you don't necessarily need to identify as a perimenopausal woman to take those herbs. You can also technically take them if you were 25 and they would work. They work for me. They work for men as well. But then there are cute need states, hot flashes, period irregularity that we do have solutions for and are specific to the scenario. But you can come in and out of the ecosystem. You can learn about the mothership of hormonal power and how reclaiming your while is like reclaiming the power of hormones. Let's not hormonal is another one where we used to say, oh, she's being hormonal. It was dismissive and patriarchal. And actually, no, that's her power. So all we do all day long, our love, our sex, our it's all affected by hormones, our stress, our sleep. It's all hormonal balancing and hormonal acts. So reclaiming that is another big part of it. I don't. I think this has been a really easy place to find fertile ground for. I think that women don't know what perimenopause is. They don't know how to identify it necessarily. They don't know what to do about it. So that education piece is there. But the market is very primed. We're not selling some ice to people who have tons of ice. So what are your challenges then? What are you what what are the things that that make you worry or feel like there are things you're going to have to figure out as you go forward? I mean, I think we need to worry about and figure out how how to have this conversation with her. I think everyone's trying. Like we have one thesis, uh, another brand another brand might be all about embracing menopause. And, you know, we're very close with Stacey London, who has another brand called State of Menopause. She believes very strongly in the advocacy part of being vocal about the word menopause, bringing it out there, talking about it. And everyone should take on the activist standpoint, the feminist activist standpoint of perimenopause. And that not every woman wants to do that. They just don't. That's where we've created, you know, and that's a solution that we've offered. But there are there is a role for that. And I think we're going to need all of these people to try the different conversations and figure out what resonates. But the beauty of it is we're going to find out what resonates to each individual customer. This is a huge market. There's going to be many winners and there's going to be feminist activist brands that certain customers are relying to. There's going to be people who are incredibly I'm sure there's a very conservative demographic, religious, what have you, that's going to be at the antithesis of that. And they want to also, they also need products and solutions. So there's going to be lots of different ways to slice this. And I don't think we're going to know for some time. I think we're going to have a lot of different conversations. And then over time, we're going to learn a little bit more as a group, if that makes sense, because all of us are operating with limited market data because no one's tried yeah, <laughs> before that's right. to try and right. go get her. And, you know, this is a woman with the highest suicidality rate. This is a woman on the highest antidepressants rates in the, in the world. And no one yet knows what's been done. But what we have done so far has been incredibly successful. So we're just going to keep following our playbook. That's amazing. Tell me about some of your successes. What are the things that have happened that you've felt so great about so far that were different from another brand you started or just in general successes? Yeah, I mean, I'll start with a success about what you talked about with women and talking. You know, when we started very early on surveying women and trying to figure out what she, they needed and wanted, our survey, if you've done this, I'm sure anyone listens to has probably done market surveys. So oftentimes you're paying people or you're bugging your friends and you're asking them to send them to 10 people and you have to follow up a million times. It's hard to get that data sometimes, especially if you're new and you don't have a big budget. We didn't have to do that. We sent it out to our group. They were all like sharing it with 10 people and writing us thank you emails that we even bothered to ask some of the questions. Because we didn't just ask like, do you have your period or not have your period? We were asking about their emotional state, their mental state, all the other things that are involved. And I, the virality of that conversation to me gave me hope that women are really, really interested in talking about this. It's just we haven't found the right way. It's not like they're not trying. 
So that was a huge success that I feel like that was really big for us. And when we launched, we had already sort of done our deals with major retailers. So we launched on Grove because Grove has a really, really interesting relationship, a very solid relationship unlike anyone else with a woman over 40, even though their VMS business is maybe not the first thing you think about when you think about Grove. You might think of them as a housewares and house goods supply, which they are, of course, but they really have this strong VMS business for this woman. And then we launched on our direct-to-consumer site. We also, our major launch was with Whole Foods first. So we got all nine SKUs in every single Whole Foods store. And the reason that was super important to us was because we... You know, obviously Whole Foods is great, It's but it's story-rich retail. You can have a conversation with her through Whole Foods at Shelf with their specialists through their programs. In addition, they are sort of the, they don't like being said, but I think people consider them like a, a regulatory body for supplements because the FDA doesn't specifically go in and audit any supplement unless there's a problem. So Whole Foods' rigorous claims are so mm-hmm. difficult and onerous to get through that I think it provides a level of trust in her that we know what we're doing, that we built efficacious products. So that was our first, we needed, we wanted that to be our first partner. And then we also picked a drug partner, depending on when this is going to air. Well, I guess by Wednesday, we'll know. So we were launching with Walgreens, and we're launched right now with Walgreens. And drug was really important to us very early on, which I know not a lot of brands do early, because we weren't really doing this traditional beauty playbook where like you you do a you know boutiques for two years mm-hmm. and then maybe you get into Whole Foods yeah. and then maybe that that playbook I think is kind of maybe not a playbook anymore. I think it might be for beauty still. It's a very different prestige level of thing that you need to pull off. But the Omni strategy was always our goal. We really felt like all of them just reinforced each other. But in addition, women a lot of women still get their health care at the drug channel. You know, they go in, they get their diabetes, you know, medicine, they get their blood pressure checked, they get, they talk to the pharmacist, they get their vitamins. So it's still a really important channel, especially women who aren't of means, right? Like not everyone has a Whole Foods in their region. Most women don't even have OBGYNs. You know, we have a massive shortage of OBGYNs in the United States. So they're going to Walgreens and saying, hey, what's here for me? I've got a UTI, I've got perimenopause. So those are the acute need states. And we really felt like we would be doing a disservice to women if we didn't meet them where they were and they're at drug. So those were our two big partners after Grove. And now, you know, so those were huge successes. We had sold them all in before we launched, which was great. And again, an indicator, I think of, yes, it's a great product. And yes, the branding is beautiful and all that. And yes, we're doing a really good job, but this is right place, right time as well. You know, like these retailers were primed, the customer was primed, And so we just, I think, just caught lightning in a bottle a bit. That's amazing to hear. And I think, I mean, I think it's more than that. I think you're being humble because there are a lot of people that want to know what's going on and don't. Like, I think what you said about people not even knowing they're in perimenopause or that's even happening to them. There's so little Mm -hmm. actual open conversation about it. You could be going through it for five years before you even have an inkling that that might be what's causing a blood pressure spike or an emotional roller coaster or any of the things that aren't traditionally associated with the two symptoms that people understand night sweats and I don't know, whatever you, some of the other things you talked about. The first, the first symptom is irregular periods. And women just assume they should have irregular periods. Like that's it's right. a thing that happens and it's not mm-hmm. necessarily true. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It doesn't mean anything's wrong, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have to live that way. And that can happen as early as like 35. You right. know, there are women right. in their late 30s and 40s having intense hot flashes. And 
And by the way, it's increasing as stress in environmental stressors and there's a relation to stress and that's why stress is so important. So it's getting worse because of environmental stressors. And then in addition, it's significantly worse for women of color, which no one has any studies because nobody bothers to study women of color even more than they don't bother to study white women. And mm-hmm. that there's no studies, but we can assume it's it's stress, right? There's a stressor to living in the world as a person of color, or certainly as a person who's not economically sound. And so those really do exacerbate the symptoms because it's the nervous system interacting with the endocrine system. They're all working together. And that's where Wild came in. We realized we had to start with supplements because you have to build the base of the pyramid. If we don't balance out her system, which is sometimes not sexy, like taking a capsule every day, but it's the herbs you need to balance it out. If we can't do that, then everything else is whack-a-mole. All the neck creams we sell are all the bath bombs. It's a little disingenuous. I'm sure it can be helpful to have a cooling mist sprayed on your face and maybe one day we'll sell one, but why not just not have a hot flash at all or have 80% less hot flashes because we take, you know, that's really where our, our approach was. And I think that the beauty approach on this demographic can feel disingenuous. It's like, take it, take yeah. it from a different perspective. I get why people do it because if you survey women, their first conversation points about it are their face and their weight, their their skin and their weight. So as a marketer, as an entrepreneur, you think, oh, I need to go where that is. I need to go where, and that's not a terrible thesis, right? Somebody's going to succeed at that and maybe it'll be us eventually. But we just went a very different route with this particular concept. It's, we thought this is just not going to be, if we couldn't have a really genuine conversation with her, we didn't want to do it because this woman has been just gaslit forever. And, Mm -hmm. and she's smart. She's been, she's been sold bills of goods for years she knows a multi doesn't work she doesn't buy her skincare from her the company that makes her panty liners like she's just like she's not (laughs) she's very savvy and she's going to investigate each individual channel if she's going to start using a feminine wash for instance which we don't make she's going to do some research and figure out what feminine wash she's going to use she's not going to use it because wild makes one like i think we will have some ability to do that one day potentially if we decide to but, but that's really i think the, the misnomer about this woman she's not gen z they're not just going to try anything once or buy anything for fun these are yeah. real investments in their yes. health and wellness yes. and they, they put themselves last they're going to buy something for their kids or their husband or their dog so they really gotta they've really got to believe that it's going to be effective for them do you feel that there's an education component that you guys need to do? And and is that something that you think will help your business and other people who are in the space too? Absolutely. I would say the primary driver for our raise and our spend, you know, is marketing and education, of course. I think that helped that I think talking across brands is helpful. You know, when we went to places like Walgreens or Whole Foods, I would say you can put a product in, we'll market it. And we've done this for other brands. We can understand this concept. It'll probably do pretty well, I hope. But if it's really going to be an amazing, amazing thing, it's about Walgreens saying, look, we're going to take on this concept generally. We're going to talk about multiple brands. Not just that, we're going to build out the shelf in a different way. We're going to label it differently. People don't like healthy aging as a concept. They don't want to see that. So what are we going to call it? Nobody knows. So we got to figure it out together. But all the retailers and that kind of concept, when we were negotiating, we're like, we don't want bottom shelf. We want this. We want that. We want you guys to make a stance as a brand, as a retailer, because great, it'll help while, but like, it'll help your business as well as a retailer. And and it'll never, while we'll do so much better if we're part of a movement. Yes. Yeah. Than if we're just on our own trying to do that. And I don't know that that, and I think that's true of other categories like collagen. I think vital protein success is huge, but also 
I'm sure it helped that a million people got into collagen and they got to be the leader in that concept. The category grew. So I think that's what we really want to focus on from an education standpoint. And then there's learnings. Like we have, you know, we started, our blend is called hormonal wellness on our direct consumer side, because that's what we're doing. And women, a lot of women don't necessarily want to take on the moniker perimenopause, which we discussed. It sells incredibly well. It sells incredibly well in Grove. We've put it in Whole Foods and Walgreens. We called it perimenopause support. Same capsules, same bottle, same ingredients, because there's no PDP. There's no ad directing you there. You may not understand. So do you understand? And that's a thesis. We're testing that now. Like, mm-hmm. is, it going, is perimenopause support a retail name and hormonal wellness works online? If you survey women online, they'll just say hormonal wellness over perimenopause support. But is that going to be true at a retail? So that conversation, like what's happening at shelf, what's happening on social, there's different things that move product at different places. And and those are all things we're figuring out together. The retailers, while, and I think the rest of the market as well. But it's not that there's not a market. We just have to slice it. Do you have any early indicators on whether your theory is right on that? Not yet. We're Whole Foods to be launched in May, Walgreens in June. Okay. Okay. So, um, so, so recent. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. super recent, but I mean, I think it would work either way. The only way to know it would be to have lengthy data of both and then ABA, yep. right? So you can yep. have a transfer, yep. but yeah, I mean, these are all, I mean, that's just the fun to me of a startup, right? Like figuring out how we're going to do all these things because putting products on shelf and I'm a COO, right? So warehousing, ordering, and it's fascinating and I can do it all day, but what are we going to do at how are we going to do this conversation? I only want to work on mission-based brands and I only want to do something like to me, consumer products are part of the conversation. And I've worked at a magazine called The Advocate, which is an LGBT news magazine. So I've been deep in that community. I've been deep in the green community. You need nonprofits, you need government, you need all the things, right? But one of the things, in my opinion, is consumer products. Being able to see things that you can purchase and identify with, we are such a consumer-driven capitalist society. If you're not represented in the capitalist consumer part of things, it's very hard to represent in other ways. For instance, we're seeing men's makeup as a trend. We're seeing a lot of genderless beauty products coming out because, and people can identify that there's a cultural resonant moment for that to exist. And it has a role. And I think the role is actually additive to society at large, even though, of course, it's a capitalist commercial enterprise, but it it doesn't have to be just. So that's what I like when you have that commercial enterprise meets something that you're actually going to change. Like, we change the conversation around plastic and styrofoam. Doesn't mean that it's over, but like now you can walk into Whole Foods or Target and get our product instead of China and Solo and all these. And that's that to me at a minimum is activism. Yes, totally agree. God, I could ask you 5 million questions. This is a great topic and I love it. And I think it's so different than anything else that I've talked about. So first of all, that's awesome. And thank you. I wonder if you have, and maybe you would even think about it this way. You have been an entrepreneur. You've started brands before. Talk about the lessons you learned that you, so you didn't have to do those things again with this <laughs> so that other people yeah. who are listening just have something to say, oh, so that's a mistake I don't want to make, or that's something maybe I'll avoid. Yeah. I mean, the number one mistake is where are you on the wave, right? Now, it doesn't mean it's a mistake because if you decide that you want to fight the fight for kelp or whatever until it's time, then you, and you can raise money and you can hold out, you could be, you could win that still. But, and I'm not saying maybe kelp is a growth industry. I don't know, but like whatever (laughs) the thing is that people aren't like crickets, right? Everyone was going to make cricket protein, right? And then everyone was jumping into it. Like, 
okay, where are you on that crest? Is it a concept? It was, it was really just a concept, right? Nobody's really ready to eat cricket. No, they're there. not. And that was old. That, that's like at least seven years old at this point, And it just didn't happen. It just didn't happen. Like, and yeah. it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. It could be a 40 year burn, but mm -hmm. what will be the driving factors? Maybe we'll run out of meat or something and it's going to drive the thing. The thing with repurpose, you know, we had a lot of traction with retailers once that turtle straw thing came out. Whenever saw, they saw that straw in a turtle's nose and that became national, global, whatever, then the wave was very different for us. So what part of the crest are you on? Know that as you go in as an entrepreneur, because it doesn't mean you should do or not do, just know where you're at, because that's how much money you need, that's how much time it's gonna take, that's how quickly you're gonna sell or not sell, what have you. The things that I always said that I would never do again is, or wanted to do next time, have a high price point. I would love to only do things in high price points. I work in a lot in grocery where things are $3.99. That's very hard to make money on when your margins, even if you could get a 20, 30, 40% margin, what are you making at 50 cents? It's hard to get millions of dollars in 50 cents a transaction. High margins, 60 plus, if you can pull it off, it's ideal. Not everyone can in grocery, but protect your margins. I'd start with a really high margin. I wanted to pre-sell. I wanted to know who my customers were going to be before I launched. And that was a strategy for us that we wanted to know that. And that was really helpful. It helped us raise capital, a very high valuation. Can we stop on that for a second? Because I yeah. think that's a really important and interesting one. I don't think I've talked to anyone who has said, the first thing I did was talk to retailers. That's amazing. So yeah. tell me well, how that led you to, uh, go ahead. Well, I, I, I say that with a caveat, because what if you can't? Like what, it, I know these people, right? I've been in this business a minute, but not everyone can do that, right? And not that I'm special. It's just like you, if you could maybe bring in somebody who has a deep experience in retail, if you're going to go Omni, maybe some of your founding team should have deep retail connections mm -hmm. so that they can have those conversations, mm -hmm. really. But, but yes, if I had called Walgreens, Whole Foods, CVS, and they'd all been like, eh, I don't think this is for us. That would have been a very different conversation at launch. Like, I don't know that we wouldn't have launched, but it would have very much affected the strategy. It would, it, might, it certainly might have affected my enthusiasm as the COO, as an operator, right? I might have been like, oh, this is going to be a long burn. Like, maybe, we're, you know, mm -hmm. how are we going to do this? So I think it's really important if you think Omni is going to be part of your strategy, which frankly, I don't know. And I don't know why you wouldn't <laughs> at this point. Every sign is pointing that it's very hard to survive and to see without an Omni strategy. So I wanted the retail sold in in advance. In my case, I wanted us, I, I have an entertainment marketing background. I wanted a celebrity partner because it just speeds things up. They go to the meetings, they go to the, they just adds a little sizzle and it's not like Judy Greer is the reason people are buying our products, but it just creates a little bit of heat that helps you move the conversation forward longer. I mean, I would have always liked to have launched. Yeah, those are maybe the main four things I would say that I really, really wanted to have in advance. I mean, I do think you're right. A lot of people don't have access to necessarily people high up in the retail space or celebrities. So some of it is probably harder for first time entrepreneurs. But I think it's all really interesting. And I do think understanding that your audiences may not only be the end consumer is a really good thing to think about. Because I think oftentimes you're looking at who are we going to sell this to? Who's going to buy it? What's the opportunity there? But not necessarily, well, there may be other people that need to buy into it first. And I think that's really good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's all about convincing everybody all the time. I mean, I think people... Hopefully entrepreneurs know that. I mean, you're always selling, you're always selling, you know, you need to impress your investors even after they've invested. You need to impress the retailers even after they've invested in the brand. You know, you want them to all be excited. And as you build that excitement, we've had such an integrated launch with Whole Foods. It's been amazing. The whole team is so excited. We presented it, all these global, like, you know, to their 
marketing teams, their global teams, you know, like we've, they're all like really, really excited about it, but that's because we also keep feeding them red meat. Yes. Here's this Vogue article about how you were right. And menopause is the next big trend and you're in the middle of it. Look how great you are. Like we're constantly yes. letting them know they made the right choice, you know, yeah. reinforcement, you know, it's, it's retention marketing is what it is. Retention marketing. Yeah with the investors, with, with everybody. Yes. So if you think of retention marketing as your number one thing you're doing at all times, every time a little piece of press breaks, I make sure everyone has their hands on it, make sure they're all jazzed up about it. It's just makes things easier for you. So I would highly recommend that. I would also highly recommend people not be afraid or timid. This industry is a lot more inviting than I think a lot of industries, certainly the entertainment industry, people will talk to you. They will cold LinkedIn people, cold email people, I mean, when we were nothing at Repurpose, very young, George Shumney, who was the VP of sales at Method, he sort of expanded Method, he ran all these sales, he's ran, he went and helped Harry's launch retail. He's a big guy. Like, he's been like kind of my mentor for a long time. Like, I can call him up and ask him questions. He's never asked for anything. He doesn't want anything from me. He just is like, yeah, I think you're, you know, you're right on. We were making a decision about drug with Wild. And he's like, my opinion is six of one, half a dozen of the other. Like, go with the one that has the best deal. You would be surprised the kind of people, I do this for other people too. Like, there are people that I help and they're like, why are you spending, I'm like, because you're an entrepreneur. Like, why shouldn't I give you an hour of my time, it'll save you five years of confusion because I've already done this and I've already made all the mistakes that can be made. I didn't know anything going into this business. So I think this industry, there's still a piece of the natural products industry that I love that is still a community that still wants to help each other. There still is not a mission to change. Yes. You know, we're not mandalas. We're trying to help, you know, make natural products exist. Yes. It's about this community versus what you said, entertainment, or even big CPG, it's not the same. Like this community does still seem to want to genuinely collaborate and help each other. And I love that about it. It's one of my favorite parts. I think I told you, I made a shift from really big marketing to mm-hmm. helping early to mid-stage brands. And what I think is really cool about it is it's not always about being the most successful of everyone. It's about helping each other and and the rising tide sort of lifting all boats. And I love that too. I think that's really important. And I think the other thing that it sounds like you're, you feel that you're open to as well is people could ask questions that may not sound that smart and it doesn't matter. They have to get asked, right? Oh, you have man. to ask them. How would you know any of these things? Like, have you ever done business with UNFI? Like it's, it's a miasma of bureaucracy. Like, how would you know any of that if it hadn't come up? If you hadn't gotten this weirdo chargeback, if you hadn't understood how yep. 2% net tens work and don't work, like there's a million things we talk for day. Like, how would you know any of that? It's all absurd on its face. It's all specific yeah. to this to, to this category. Yep. And a lot of it doesn't make any sense. It's not logical necessarily, some of it, some of it is. So now I think that, and also the thing about this is so many people are, there's so many categories. So you could be in bars and you could help out a water company. I wouldn't help a water company, no offense, because we don't need any more bottled water. But like you could help out a supplement company like me. I'm not competing for your customer. If anything, there's probably overlap. And yeah, if you're if you're a kombucha brand, maybe you're not helping another kombucha brand beat you. But frankly, I have seen people do that too. Yeah. Like, we're so good. Well, like if our product is good, we're going to succeed. We're going to figure it out. I and competition, right. healthy competition is viable. I think for some, you know, for some, it's very rare, but I think tableware was tough because there's like a zero sum. There's going to be one green brand and then private label and that's it. So we really did, you know, have to win. I expect that we'll have lots of women's wellness, perimenopause, menopause, 
brands continuing to enter the market and succeed in different ways. And some of them will be in telehealth, some will be in community, some of them will be in skincare. I don't know. We'll see it all. And we'll all kind of rising tides will raise all boats. Hopefully. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Any last, I mean, this is great. There's so much good stuff in here. And I really do think we could talk for days, but yes, I really appreciate your time so much, but is there anything you want to leave us with any last thoughts? No, I mean, my mantra, my only thought for anyone who's an entrepreneur is like, just go for it. Like ask everybody, they will, they will help you email them. They will one out of 10 won't maybe, but they will email you back. I think we're we're raised to be a little afraid of that, or I'm not I'm not important yeah. enough to talk to that person. I don't know if yes. it's a cultural thing. You know, I'm not big enough. And some people are going to ignore you because you don't have any clout or whatever. But those aren't your people, right? Yeah. Keep finding the people that that work with you and join. There's a million Slack groups out there that now that did not exist when I started companies that you could talk to and and share information. I can go on a Slack channel now and get a list of shipping warehousing part, logistic partners in five minutes. And you can too, you as entrepreneur out there, there's so many more resources that are available to you. And so I will just say, and, and, and even with retailers, just doesn't hurt to ask, just send the email, just make the call, walk up to them at the showroom. I promise you, it's always the tenacity. It's usually rewarded because- yes. I would agree with that. It's just what works. So. And it's hard because you're just, I mean, you are worried about rejection and not seeming smart enough and not knowing right, but that's the. Well, then I'll leave you with that. If you're worried about rejection, you're in the wrong business. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. It's true. Cause you can't be successful. You can't. I mean, less, I'm rejected. sure acting is worse, but like a lot of people are going to tell you no. Yeah. And that's just the way it is. Like yeah. even with as all the success we're talking about, I'm still getting like, mm, I don't know from some people because they just don't understand yet. I have to yeah. convince them. So yeah, I, I think don't take rejection as uh, anything other than everything's timing and yeah. you have to figure out where your product fits in the timing, where the retailer is in the timing. And sometimes those timings don't line up and where the customers, if you have a customer and you have a product and the timing is right, you'll find them. Yeah. If you have a customer and the timing is right and the retailer doesn't get it, they don't get it. Find another retailer. Yeah. I love that. I love That's that. Rejection is just someone who doesn't understand what you're doing. That's amazing. No, just means they don't understand. Just try to give them a few months and come back with more information, more articles, more press, more data, more something but never give up. Love it. Well, thank you so much for your time. This is amazing. I really have enjoyed our conversation so much. Me too. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday. Wednesday.